and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Today, we will see more lessons from the ancient church at Smyrna. For example, don't focus on your coming sufferings, focus on your salvation. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. We are wrong if we come to look at the scriptures and think that God wills us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That when we're saved, he just puts us on this bed of roses until we're ushered into his presence through a clean and painless death. That is not a biblical picture of the Christian life. It is not the biblical picture of the Savior's life either. So why was this ancient church in Smyrna, this band of believers who were afflicted and poor, why were they persecuted by those in Smyrna? Well, several reasons. Because pagans hated those who took Jesus seriously. Have you noticed in this country that increasingly, if you take Jesus seriously at any level or pursuit of life in America, you're getting more and more hated? Bank on it. It's the way it's going to be. They also persecuted the church in Smyrna because darkness hates light. Because Polycarp, who was the pastor of this ancient church at Smyrna, Polycarp was burned alive at the stake. He was 86 years old when he went to the stake refusing to blaspheme his savior by bowing the knee in worship to a Roman emperor which was being demanded of him, and they burned him alive at the stake. 86 years old. He said this before he died. Four score and six years I have served the Lord, and he has never wronged me. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? Jesus has never wronged me. Has he wronged any of you ever? I didn't think so. So let's not blaspheme him. Let's not lower him in our hearts, our speech, our thoughts, our priorities. Now that was pagan or Gentile persecution that the little band of believers at Smyrna was enduring. But it wasn't just Gentile pagan persecution, it was also pseudo-Jewish persecution of this little band of believers. Many Jews who claimed to be Jews but were really in a synagogue of Satan also persecuted that church. Look at verse nine. I know your tribulations and your poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, a gathering together motivated by Satan and doing Satan's will. These were apostates. An apostate is someone who knows the truth and then falls away from it. These were apostates. And they love to make the little band of believers in Jesus make their lives miserable. These apostate Jews who once knew the truth of the Old Testament, of the true and living God and covenant relationship with Israel, fell away from those truths and they bought in for business's sake or for convenience's sake, they bought into the Roman emperor worship cult. And in so doing, they went right against the first commandment of the 10. You shall have no other gods before me, God said. They were apostate. And so what did this look like when the pagan Gentile persecution combined with the pseudo-Jewish persecution against the church in Smyrna, how did that affect them? How did they do life? What did that look like? Well, it looked like a few things. It looked like it was next to impossible for any of them to get a job. 
it looked like they couldn't own property anymore. They no longer had a right to own property. It looked like no religious freedom. Bow the knee to the Roman emperor or we'll kill you. It looked like a lack of the basics of life. Because they couldn't work, because they couldn't own property, these dear believers lacked food often. They lacked drinking water often. They lacked a place to live often. They lacked clothes. And every day, they did their business in the city of Smyrna, aware that that could be the day they were killed for Jesus Christ. That could be the day that a loved one would be killed for Jesus Christ every day. Will you note with me what Jesus, through his vision, said to that church? First of all, will you note with me that Jesus' word of hope for those people was about the crown of life? Verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. The word of hope and encouragement that Jesus Christ chose to give to the church at Smyrna was a hope about the crown of life. It had nothing to do with justice. It had nothing to do with military might. It had nothing to do with money or jobs. It had everything to do with something called the crown of life. We'll come back and double back to see what the crown of life is. Now the name Smyrna means myrrh. Do you remember myrrh? The three wise men came to see the baby Jesus in worship and one of them brought myrrh. Myrrh was an embalming spice. Now don't miss this. Christ wanted them to think about death and resurrection. Jesus wanted them to think about his death and resurrection, and Jesus equally wanted that church to think about their own deaths and their own resurrections. In verse eight, you can see he's referencing his death. And then in verse 10, he's referencing their own future deaths. And then in verse 11, he's referencing something called the second death. And so these soon-to-suffer moral Christians who lived in Smyrna, also known as embalming spice, how'd you put that, like to put that on your return label of your mail? Name, address, formaldehyde, Pennsylvania. Smyrna, embalming spice, Asia Minor. Murray is only have an embalming effect on a dead body when it is crushed. You could have granules that are big, actually chunks of myrrh, will look like very dense rock salt. If they stay in that form of being chunks, they don't do anything about embalming a dead body. But when myrrh is crushed, when myrrh is broken, then the fragrance of the myrrh is released and the fragrance of the myrrh, which is pleasant, overrides the fragrance of death, which is a stench. There's a spiritual application for us in that, is there not? Jesus said in John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When we recognize that we've been co-crucified with Christ, that the old us has died, then we can be fruitful in dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God and the resurrection life of Christ, which is our life since conversion. Going back to myrrh and Smyrna, history tells us that Smyrna died as a city many times and then resurrected back to life after dying as a city many times. And so they decided to fashion their own little idol 
a goddess that was to mark nature's rejuvenations, winter to spring, and so forth and so on. And the idol's name was Sybil. So the point of this is that real Christians in a real city with a real historical context who were suffering and were going to suffer more, the risen Christ said to them, don't focus on your coming sufferings. Instead, focus on your salvation. Focus on your salvation, which is complete in its death with Christ, complete with its resurrection with Christ, complete with its eternal life out of brokenness, complete with its heaven without a fear of hell, and complete with something called a crown of life. Focus on your salvation. Now let's double back to verse 10 and consider this thing, the crown of life. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Perhaps a better translation from the original language here is the crown which is life. The crown which is life. So will you notice that this crown which is life, first of all, is a reward and not a showpiece. In other words, it's a wreath like ancient Olympians earned for winning a race, a plant wreath that you would wear rather than jewelry. In our context, the crown which is, in, which is life is clothing and not jewelry. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I am the youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And the last time that we, we talked, we looked at 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10, talking about how we are God's people and how we were called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And today we want to talk about what God has called us to. God has called us of good works. And, he, and 1 Peter 2, 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers, as exiles, to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. This verse is telling us that we as Christians, we are aliens, we are exiles, we are strangers of this world. That we need to understand that we are to abstain from the things of this world. As it says, abstain from sinful desires. We shouldn't allow ourselves as we are in a war. You know, we, we sometimes talk about spiritual warfare. And let me just say that spiritual warfare is real. And we need to understand that there, there are two sides that are wrestling for us. There is a side that, that we should follow as, as followers of Jesus Christ. But Satan is there, you know, one in us, and he's pulling us aside, and he's using different people. And the question becomes, what are we doing with that? Are we abstaining? Are we um, coming away from that? Are we running from these different desires? And verse 12 said this, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. What truth this is. You know, as a Christian, as a born-again believer, we need to understand that a Christian life is not easy. And when we take a stand for Christ and when we try to do what we can for Christ, people are going to talk about you. And you want me to tell you the reality of this, this whole thing of talking about you? If you are taking a stand for Christ and as people look at your life and they talk about you, there are going to be people who will defend you because they see the good works that you are doing for God. You know, it's too many times in our lives we have... What people will say all the time is, I don't want to come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. But the reality of this is for us as Christians, as people talk about us, we need to let our good works, not things of we gave to charity or we went and cut the old lady's um, lawn, but we need to understand that we are to do things for God and to bring honor and glory to God. 
Because I think that too many times in our, our culture today, we, as we look at the world, we will see that what we do for the world, whether it be helping at an organization, we think that that is sufficient. But let me ask this question. What is the last thing you've done to bring honor and glory to God? That you appointed people to God because of what you have done. Because that is what this is talking about, that we bring honor and glory to God. And this passage continues. And some of you this summer may have a job. And you may, you know, you may not like what you're doing. You may not like your boss. But this is what this says to us. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor or the supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Again, here's, here's a perfect example for us as a, a person who may be working, who has a job, that you may understand that I don't know who got you the job because sometimes we think because our father got us a job or we know someone there that, okay, I could do what I want. But here it says, submit to every authority because of the Lord. Again, as we consider that, we are not working for ourselves anymore. We are working for the Lord. The Lord is our boss. He is our authority. He is the one that we need to recognize in our lives, that he is the one to bring honor and glory to. As you sit and think of your parents, as you think of government officials, police, whoever it may be, God has placed these over authority over your life. And we must obey them. Even in times when we sometimes think that life isn't fair, or the rules aren't fair, they are placed, or they aren't being um, fair because they have made you do something that they have made no one else do. You know, I'll give you an example. I was out to road traffic getting my car license. And I knew an individual who was there, and he um, knew me, and, and, you know, we knew each other, and we both came to get our car license. Well, they made me go and get my passport. And so the same person came, and I, I told him, I asked him, I said, well, do you have a passport? And he said, no. I said, well, they're going to make you need your passport. Well, anyway, I, like I said, I know this person, and I know they didn't pay them off or anything, or they was able to get their car license without a passport. So it was easy for me to get upset at that moment and think to myself, life is not fair. This isn't fair that I had to leave Carmichael Road to come back out east to get my passport. I had every other document that I needed, but I didn't have my passport, even though I had two identifications, but they wanted my passport. It would have been easy for me to get upset with the authority and to say things that weren't honoring to God. But the best thing for me to do is to bring honor and glory to God is to just get away and do what they tell me because they are the authority. Again, it continues in verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Again, it was easy for me to get upset, but sometimes it's best just to be quiet and just do what's right because that's what God wants us to do. And verse 16 says, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover for you, but as God's slave. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. Again, as we consider this and we consider authority that God has placed in our lives, we need to understand that we are God's slaves, that we are under God's authority, that we are representation of God, and we are doing and pursuing everything for His honor and His glory. So when we come across authority that we don't like, we need to recognize that God has placed our authority, and we need to listen to them. We need to do what they ask us to do. Even if they ask to do a job that we do not like, 
Now, I'm not telling you this morning, if you're listening and you have a summer job, to do something that you totally have no idea what to do, whether the, your boss tells you to go use a table saw and you have no idea because we don't need any accidents that way. But kindly ask the person, say, you know, I don't know how to do that. But they actually do a job that you think is just too dirty or too you can do, but you don't want to do. That's not the attitude to have because you are a representation of God and you are working for him. And, it, and as we think of that and we put that principle into practice, we in everything that we do, whether it be taking out the trash, whether it be scrubbing the toilets, whatever it is God has called you into whatever job, you do that to bring honor and glory to God. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas, and you are listening to You Talk. And now, today's ministry spotlight. This morning, I'm pleased to be in the recording studio with Dr. Marlene Heiler, who is a professional counselor. She is the co-founder of the New Providence Classical School, and she has been a supported missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ. Good morning, Sister Marlene. Good morning. We want to talk this time around about being a faith-supported Christian worker. And first of all, let's ask you, please, to define a faith-supported Christian worker. Well, that would be a Christian worker whose means of salary is from financial contributions of churches, organizations, and individuals. So the, the faith dimension of that is that there's not a massive reservoir of money with some corporation or no. church no. that guarantees you your salary. No. But the faith is that you're looking to God to, first of all, uh, raise up supporters who are willingly uh, going to regularly support your ministry with money. Exactly. And that you'll have enough of them. Exactly. When you sign up with a mission agency or a church that operates a mission agency, there would be an index. For instance, if you, you're called Chile, they will know, or an organization, you do the research and find out for a man and a wife and two children to live in Chile, this is the amount of money you need per month to live. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be in the United States to live in California and New York, I think are the highest support amount of support you have to raise. And so you either say you have to raise a specific amount. Is it 6000 a month, 12000 a month? You know how much you need to raise to go to the mission field. And that can take, it's taking longer than it used to take. So sometimes it can take two to three years to raise your mission support. And sometimes for the family or for the individual, it's a test to know, God, are you really calling me? Mm -hmm. Some regions are more familiar, you know, for instance, in the United States, you give a lot. Giving to charity and getting a tax deduction is a part of the culture. Yes, it is. And so if you're from a culture like the Bahamas where people don't get credit or they don't get a tax deduction for giving, it could be complicated. And even the, um, say, Bahamian families who sign up to support you, Sometimes they don't realize how serious that commitment is, that the only reason you're going is because your agency permitted you to go because X amount of people committed to give a certain amount per month. And so sometimes if you're depending on families, that can go up and down. I must say Calvary Bible was a supporter of mine, and Calvary Bible, the check always came every month. Calvary Bible has been very good in following through on giving to the missionaries they're committed to. And Praise I have to say Lord. thank you to thank you for that. Well, on behalf of the church family, you say you're welcome. It's our pleasure. 
that's certainly important on a church's end to honor the commitments we make to our uh, wonderful missionaries. What are some of the blessings and some of the challenges of living with that kind of a setup as a faith-supported Christian worker? There are three major blessings. One would be you living the Word of God. The Word of God says that the workman is worthy of their hire. And, and in Scripture, the Lord called persons to go out and told them not to take anything. Mm-hmm. And there are still Christian workers who take that literally. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they, they go minimally. And they're really only trusting God for how that is going to, funds are going to come in monthly. So the blessing is you're living the word of God. Mm -hmm. Another blessing is that you are totally dependent on the Lord. I mean, it's, it's your breath. You are, you're literally living on God following through in his word and using the body of Christ to supply your needs. Another blessing is that you are inviting people to participate in God's work. Yes. You know, one of the big things we hear talk about now is um, human trafficking. Yes. And we won't even delve into that, what's going on in the Bahamas. Because sometimes, and even, I grew up in the tourism industry, and, and once I became aware of human trafficking, and you see this older man and this lady on his arm sometimes, you don't know if that's really his wife, or, you know, you don't know what's going on there. So we have some serious human trafficking issues that need to be dealt with. But if you are committing to, to give monthly funds for a missionary that is given who is working in human trafficking that is where god is working mm-hmm. god is slavery is more prominent now than it ever has been in history how alarming and so that's a very great need uh, for instance and this has changed a lot of agencies the people who work in the office now have to have paid salary because you can't have your it person not show up for work so a lot of missionaries who did administrative ministry their support was was too unstable to keep the ministries afloat. And so they had to change the salary structure. But I'm saying if you're giving to a person who is the technology person for a church or for a ministry, that's the heart of a ministry nowadays, other than the intercession and the word of God. Yes. And so you allowing someone to cause a whole ministry to function, and that is an incredible privilege. It absolutely is. Uh, Maybe we could look at it that uh, when Matthew blew into Nassau, the hurricane, that it's almost like uh, you had to have a person on the dock holding on to the boat rope. And uh, the person that's holding on to the boat rope in the hurricane of life's expenses as a missionary is the supporter, the financial one who's pledged. And you can't let go of that rope. People are counting on you. Yes, yes, yes. In terms of challenges... I've heard of a missionary who had one supporter. So a wealthy person felt as if God put it on their heart to support this missionary. That person's on the mission field, and that one supporter doesn't follow through. Mm -hmm. So it contributes to a lot of instability in the missionary's life. Um, As a single missionary, another single missionary in my ministry, her name was Michelle Malcor, she would also say, she would say, you know, as a single person, we could eat cereal for dinner. We could eat tuna fish every night. Mm-hmm. But if you have children and you have a family, they can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the family, if you're not following through with your commitment, 
that could cause a family to really go into, into instability. And there's a joke in Campus Crusade, you know, during staff training, they went around asking the children, what does your daddy do? And the person says, well, he checks the mailbox and drinks Coke. <laughs> because you're checking the mailbox to see how much support is coming in. Yes. And so if, you, if the, the people who committed to give aren't giving, you, you, you're in for trouble. And churches, the mission agents, the mission board can say, the Lord has called it on our hearts this year to give to Southeast, to give to Asia. Well... If you are in Africa or you in South America and that church was on your support team and mm. they wrote a letter to say God has called us or we feel impressed to give to another region of the world, that means you've lost that support. And so it could contribute to instability. It sure could. Thank you. Uh, what would you tell a person who is wondering, praying, about obeying God's call in their life to be a faith-supported Christian worker? I would say pray. <laughs> I've had missionaries say um, that I would tell them don't do it. I've literally heard that. And what they, especially missionaries from brown regions of the world. Faith support tends to be Anglo-Saxon, white Anglo-Saxon. So if they're from a region where people are more brown and black and Asian or yellow or red, they're not trained in that. And so if you're a brown person, you could take or, or a, a red person, you know, from a Chinese or, or they look at it as being lazy. So a person from a yellow a Chinese region, they think of it as a strong work ethic as a person who wake up, you know, four to whatever, six, and they're working nonstop. So the fact that you feel as if God has called you now, my child, that I raised in this Chinese grocery store, you're going to the mission field. They think of that as lazy. And so for the yellow person or the brown person or the black person, the non-white person, it can be hard. So I say this to say, really be sure that it is God calling you. I'm not, I'm not saying don't go, but nowadays mission agencies are having to be creative. For instance, you can still lead people to Christ and go and teach English as, as a second language. Yeah, sure. To, you know, in Taiwan, to, to some other region of the world. So you don't have to, it doesn't have to be through by means of monthly support. You can still do ministry in a different way. Another way mission, mission agencies are working is, if you're working in South America, they're now taking the goods of the people in South America, and when they do their conferences or they go to churches, they're bringing the goods from South America, and they're selling the jewelry and the bags and so on and so forth, and the funds are going to support that ministry in South America. Mm. So there are other ways to do it. But if God is calling you and, and you say yes to that, just know that He will provide. He's promised in his word that he yes. would provide, and he still does. And it is always a blessing to meet mission families whose kids have they've, they've graduated from college. Yes. And you go, oh, four kids, six kids graduated from college? Uh -huh. Campus Crusade has a family with 12 kids. And so God still provides. He absolutely does. He absolutely does. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. 
Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.